You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. How you doing, Revolution Church? I'll take it. So, uh, Brandon actually left me one more announcement because um, I, I wanted it. You guys know the Bogses, Allie and AJ? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Right, they're cool. They're real cool. They're not here uh, because Allie is in labor right now. So that we're going to... It's done? Like the, like the baby's out? You're sure about this? Really? What'd they name her? Dang it. Like the Beals did that. Like they went like three days and didn't know what the name... Like what do you call... Well, we're letting her figure it out, you know? Like we don't want to point, point anything on her, so... No, uh... Yeah, so the Boggses are, are having their daughter, or had their daughter. That's awesome. I was super excited, but Kelly had to one-up me in front of the whole congregation. Thanks, jerk. Um, anyway, no, so that's super cool. We're really excited for them. Uh, I'm super pumped about that. Uh, they did say this, though. Uh, please don't, uh, like, bombard their cell phones with, uh, with texts, and please don't put anything public on Facebook. Um, if you want to message them through Facebook Messenger, that's great. But please don't put anything on your status or on their wall or anything like that. Don't take that from them. Let them have that. Cool. So I just wanted to lay that out there. Um, so anyway, that was cool. Um, so we are continuing our five-week series called Alone. Um, and what we're doing in this, uh, this is week number two, we're looking at the core doctrines of Christianity, um, namely the doctrines that separated uh, the Protestants from the Roman Catholics in the 1500s. Um, we are Protestant, if you didn't know that. Protestant, root word protest, quite literally, we protested against the Catholic Church um, and against uh, a lot of the errors and like, erroneous things that the Catholic Church was teaching, and still today we continue to protest um, because those teachings continue on. Um, let me pause there real quick. If you're Roman Catholic or your family's Roman Catholic or anything like that, um, I don't hate you. This church does not hate Roman Catholics. Um, we might hate Roman Catholic doctrine because we think that it is erroneous, but we do not uh, hate Roman Catholic people. So just laying that out there. I always want to make that clear distinction. Um, we're, we're not about bigotry. Um, so, Again, this, uh, so what we're doing kind of with these five weeks is uh, we're kind of celebrating the Protestant Reformation because October 31st is not only Halloween, but it is Reformation Day for you theology nerds out there. I usually have a party. It's awesome. Um, I dressed up like John Calvin last year. It was insane. Um, I really did. It was kind of, kind of embarrassing. Uh, anyway, so this Protestant Reformation, it was led by uh, a man named Martin Luther, not to be confused with Martin Luther King Jr., right? Martin Luther was a white German monk from the 1500s. Don't, those are way two separate different people. Um, and it was led by him, and, and he's, he played an, an incredibly significant role in that, and, and we'll get to a little bit of his life uh, here in a minute. Uh, but these doctrines that we're looking at, these five core doctrines, um, are really what separate Protestants um, from everyone else. Um, it's these five solas. Sola is a Latin word that means alone, and they're scripture alone as our only authority for faith and practice. Uh, we are saved by God's grace alone, not merits, through faith alone, not works, through Christ alone, and no one else, and all of this is to the glory of God alone. So those are the five core doctrines. And this week we are going to look at the, doc- the doctrine of justification by faith alone. 
All right. Um, justification, I understand that's, a, that's kind of a churchy word. It's a Bible word, so I'm going to use it. Um, it's a good word. What it means is the declaration of righteousness by God. Right? Some people say salvation by faith alone, because if you're justified in God's eyes, then you will be saved when you die. So we can kind of use those interchangeably, um, and I might this evening, just so you know. Um, but justification is the declaration of righteousness by God. Now, this belief is the heart of Christianity. Period. This, this doctrine is the gospel. Not only that, but this was... This, this doctrine was at the heart of the, of the Reformation back in the 1500s. Um, like philosophers will sometimes distinguish uh, between causes, right? So I'm not trying to delve into the area of philosophy that I'm not super good with. Um, but the formal cause of the Reformation was what we talked about last week, Sola Scriptura, right? And it, basically you can look at it this way. This is like the on paper, like big, like first reason uh, why we separated from the Roman Catholics, right? Scripture alone, not tradition, not what the Pope says, but we go by what the Bible says alone. That's the formal cause. But the material cause, right? The reason why everyone was really fighting, the reason why we really left the Catholic Church was faith alone. It was this doctrine that you are saved by faith alone and not works. So again, I really can't stress the importance that this is the heart of everything. Without this, there is no gospel. Without this, no one will be saved. Without this, we are nothing but damned people. It's like this is literally the most important thing that I will ever teach anybody. Like, so much so that I counted it up in the 120-some sermons I've preached. This doctrine is in every single sermon that I have ever preached. I do it on purpose. Because life and death hang in the balance on this. Our eternal souls depend on knowing this truth. Because this truth is the good news. So forgive me if you think I'm being too serious compared to normal, because usually I'm goofing around for the first five minutes I'm up here. Uh, But this is deadly serious. Um, I, I did not know peace with God until I understood this. And you will not know peace with God until you understand this. This doctrine sets us free. And that's because there is no peace with God outside of this. Because everything that contradicts this doctrine of justification by faith alone is slavery. It's slavery. So listen really carefully to me this evening. And hide this truth in your heart. And believe this, because this is life. Everything else is death. This doctrine leads to life. So... Man needs, right, mankind needs to be justified before God, right? We need to be legally declared righteous in God's eyes, right? This is, that's basically what every religion teaches, is it not? Like, uh, or at least claims to teach, rather, I should say, because all religions are false except for this one, um, except for Christianity. Um, but all, all religions basically try to teach how to be reconciled to God, how to be right with God, how to be saved, Right? That's because people intrinsically know, and I will argue this from Scripture, and I will argue this from my personal experience and the experience of the testimonies of other people. People intrinsically know that they have done wrong in God's eyes. Right? People intrinsically know that they have sinned. You know those gut feelings you have 
Whenever you know you've done something that you shouldn't have, and you know that it's more than just something legal, it's more than uh, just like a societal pull on you, it's like this late night conviction whenever you're like laying your head on your pillow that you think, man, I ought not have spoken that way. I ought not have done this. I ought not have responded in this way. And you know that it's deeper than just the fact that you offended your fellow man. You know it's deeper than you just went against the social code or whatever. You know there's something more to that. We know inherently that we have sinned against God. And again, if you disagree with that point, please come talk to me after the service. I would love to talk, uh, talk to you about that. So people know that they need to be reconciled to the God that they have offended. And they seek that out in religion. right? But how can that happen? How can sinners, how can people who have offended a holy God be reconciled to him? All religions except for Christianity say works. Good works will reconcile you to God. If you, rather, if you do this or do that, then God will accept you and God will love you. Right? If we look at uh, Hinduism, right? the, the Hindu version of heaven, it's a bunch of good works and appeasing their gods. Right? That their gods must be appeased in order for them to go to heaven. Uh, in Judaism... Rather, uh, modern Judaism, not biblical Judaism like the uh, Old Testament patriarchs practiced. Um, but modern Judaism says that like, your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds. If you do enough good, God will accept you. Islam says that upon your conversion to Islam, um, that you get a blank record, like all your past sins are forgiven. And now if you do enough good deeds that outweigh any bad deeds you might do, Allah might forgive you. Right? But they don't really know. They're saying, mm, he may. Um, Buddhism, although it's an atheistic religion, says that if you, uh, if you follow this certain path and acknowledge these certain truths and live your life based according to these truths, one day you will cease to exist, right? You will reach nirvana. You will become one with the universe. And furthermore, just something about Buddhism. A religion with no God just seems silly to me, right? It doesn't make any sense. A godless religion. I don't know why that makes sense to anybody. Um, but what does Christianity say? Christianity says faith alone in Christ alone is what saves that's it. it. And it rubs against our nature as human beings because there has to be more to it than that, right? has to be more than just trusting Christ that saves. But let's go back in time a little bit to the 1500s, right? Whenever this German monk, Martin Luther, is starting this revolution accidentally. Um, by, by the 1500s, Roman Catholicism didn't always teach this um, heresy that I'm getting ready to tell you. They didn't teach it quite uh, as explicitly as this, but by the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church was teaching that justification or salvation comes by faith plus works, right? Not works alone. The faith has to be genuine, right? There has to be like a, a legitimate trust in God, legitimate contrition for your sins, all those things. Uh, faith is necessary according to Roman Catholicism, but it is not sufficient. See what I'm saying there? Kind of like fire. You have to have oxygen, right? Plus, I mean, I'm not really good with stuff. You have to have oxygen plus something else blanking right now, uh, right? So just oxygen by itself is not sufficient to start a fire, but it is necessary to have a fire. You see what I'm getting at here? All you people who are into science are probably just dying laughing at me right now. My sixth grade science teacher is just like spinning right now. She's still alive. I don't think she's spinning in her grave. That was kind of dark. I didn't mean that. Um, that was actually an accident. That is not in the notes, just so you know. Uh, it's not in the manuscript. Um, but again, the, the faith must be genuine according to Roman Catholicism. But faith is not sufficient for justification. Right? So here's the Roman Catholic system. I'm going to simplify it as much as I can. You are justified. It's going to be up here. You are justified uh, from your baptism. 
Right, the act of baptism, this ritual of, of you know, uh, having water poured over you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that gets your initial justification. That makes you right with God. And then your good works and obedience to God throughout your life maintains your justification, right? It essentially maintains your right standing before God. But should you sin, and they call it mortal sin, they distinguish between sins, venial and mortal sin. Venial is kind of like, eh, you shouldn't do that, but you're not going to go to hell for it, kind of shrug it off. Um, I'm sorry, that was a caricature. Uh, but that's venial sin. And then mortal sin, though, is real serious, right? Mortal sin is like a, a really especially bad sin. Um, and what mortal sin does is it kills your justification. That's why it's called mortal Make sense? Mortal sin kills your justification before God. So then what must you do? Well, they call it the second plank of justification, uh, where you would go to confession with a priest, right, and be absolved, and then do a work of satisfaction or a work of penance, right? Might be praying uh, some Hail Marys and some Our Fathers, right, doing the rosary or something like that. Um, or something like giving money to the poor, right? Like almsgiving, some kind of a work of satisfaction. And then upon your confession and work of satisfaction, you regain your justification in the eyes of God. So you see, it's this constant cycle, right? Because everyone knows we all sin. It's this constant cycle of, I go to confession, I do my work of penance, I'm justified in the eyes of God, and then I inevitably screw it up again. So I need to go back to confession, do another act of penance, and regain my justification, and on and on and on in this endless cycle. So what Roman Catholicism essentially taught and still teaches today is that faith plus works is your justification, is your legal righteousness in the eyes of God. Martin Luther, this, he was a Catholic monk at the time, He was beaten down by that system. Absolutely beaten down by that system. Because he knew he sinned too much. He knew knew God demands a perfect obedience to his law and that it was humanly impossible for him to give God that perfect obedience to his law. Luther knew that if his own works played a role in his salvation, that he did not stand a chance to be saved. Because even on his best day, he was still going to sin. He knew that. So what Luther did was, man, like history tells us, Martin Luther worked his guts out in the monastery. Like he would volunteer for the jobs no one else wanted to do, right? He would like tell people to take the day off, right? Stuff like that. He's like, I'm going to do as much as I possibly can. And he confessed often, right? Like most, most monks would go in, go in and do like 15 to 30 minutes worth of confessing. Luther would spend like two to four hours in confession, so much so that, that it, it's recorded that there was a, like the, the, the abbot, I think is what they're called, over the monastery, um, went to Luther and said, hey man, uh, come back to confession whenever you have something worth confessing because you're just wasting my time because these aren't even real sins. And Luther says, no, you don't understand. I am miserable. I am a wretch in the eyes of God. I sin. I, I break his law. I think things that I shouldn't think. I say things that I shouldn't say. So he's always trying to work his guts out in order to be saved. One of the funniest quotes I think Luther had, he said, if ever a monk were saved by his monkery, it would have been I. Right? I like that word a lot. I had to throw it in here. Monkery. Yeah. So Luther was terrified because he thought daily he lost his right standing with God. That haunted him. Because he knew God was righteous. 
And this righteousness of God haunted Luther because that means God's a holy, just judge. And he says, love God? He says I'm supposed to love Him with everything that I have? Sometimes I hate this righteous God. Because he knew that if his works played a part in his salvation, that he's damned. But then Luther began to study Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which is actually our root text this evening. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can, or it's going to be here on the screen here in a minute. He began to study Romans 1, 16 and 17, and he rediscovered Paul's teaching, the apostolic teaching of justification by faith alone. And Luther's peace with God came from this. He actually says, whenever he understood these verses, he said, the gates of paradise swung open wide and I walked in. Whenever he understood it's faith and not works, he said, I was born again of the Holy Spirit and I walked into paradise. And Luther became willing to split the church over this doctrine because this is the gospel. He actually said it's so important. He said, this doctrine is the article by which the church stands or falls. John Calvin said, this is the doctrine, like a door hinge. The the church swings on it. He said, this is all important. And it's because there is no other way to be saved than by faith alone in Christ alone. So let's take a look at this passage that changed Luther's life because it's going to change ours too if we really get it. Before I read this, I'll I'll beg you. I know a good bit of us already know this doctrine. Don't, Don't do what a lot of us do where we have a cold, dead orthodoxy, where we have a cold, dead theology, where we can just nod our head and say, yeah, I already knew that. I want to learn something new. This is the beginning and end of Christianity. Take this to heart. Let the truths that that we're going to look at wash over you and see your own helplessness before a holy God apart from Christ and then see the grace of the gospel and that Christ saved you. Let's do Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, please help me to show the people here the truth of those words. Holy Spirit, do a work in the hearts of unbelievers here. Do a work in the hearts of your people here. Let this doctrine astound us. Please, please do a mighty work, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So what he says in verse 16, what the Apostle Paul says, is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. What that means is he's saying this is the way to be saved. Quite literally, the the word power that we have there is the root word that we get for dynamite. So Paul is saying that the gospel is the dynamite of God. Right? It's going to change something. It's going to transform people. That's what the gospel does. This is how God is the only way that God has said he's going to save. This is how his power is going to be put on display. This saving power of God. Right? The Old Testament tells us all over the place, God alone is mighty to save. So the gospel is where his power goes on display for all who believe. So what that means then, is that the way to be declared righteous in God's eyes is going to be shown in the gospel. Right? So that's, this, this is Paul's thesis statement for the letter of Romans, by the way. Right? So he's saying God is going to show us how to be declared righteous through the gospel, which makes us naturally say how. And Paul explains the how in verse 17. 
He says the righteousness of God is revealed, right? For in it, or because, right? How is the gospel the power of God for salvation for all who believe? Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. I don't know about you guys. Whenever I hear the righteousness of God, I tend to think what Luther thought. Actually, no joke. I had always thought what Luther thought until I really spent some time looking at this. And what what Luther thought, again, the righteousness of God, that this must mean the righteous standard and holiness and justice of God. Right? Actually, the Latin translation of, of the Bible that Luther had been reading from his whole Christian life actually essentially says the justice of God has been revealed in the gospel. And Luther says... What I, what, I, what I thought, how is that good news? If the justice of God is revealed in the gospel, and God's justice says that He damns those who sin against Him, how is this good news for you and I? If that's what righteousness means. If the justice of God is revealed in the gospel, how is this good news? It's not. If that's what it means. But then Luther started reading the Greek. He really started to study Romans, and he said, well, let's go back to the actual words that the Apostle Paul used. And I'm not going to try to use any of those words this evening because I can't pronounce them. But the Greek word for righteousness means declaration of righteousness. It doesn't mean justice. It doesn't mean the the, the holiness and the righteous standard of God is revealed. It means the righteous, the declaration of righteousness from God is revealed in the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here. That's good news. God is going to declare how sinners can be declared righteous in his eyes, but how will God do this? How will we receive this declaration? Paul goes on to say, from faith for faith, which is another way of saying beginning and ending in faith. Right? Totally received by faith. Totally dependent upon trusting God. That's what faith means. And then Paul goes on to defend, this is not a new concept. Right? Again, because Jews at the time were saying, man is saved by, you know, doing a bunch of good works, and then God will count him righteous. Paul says, absolutely not. And he quotes an Old Testament prophet uh, named Habakkuk. Uh, to show that this is how God always saves. That's why he says, the righteous shall live by faith. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament prophet. He's saying, Paul's saying, God has always saved this way. He's not changing his mind. He has always saved by faith. Right? So the righteous shall live by faith, meaning the righteous will live before God, right? And not be damned and killed before God. That's how Paul's taking it in this sense. So the righteous are righteous by faith is another way we can look at that. They're righteous by trusting God. So again, I know I'm repeating myself. I just want to be very clear. So the way to be declared righteous by God comes by faith. Comes by trusting Him. I want want you to see this in this text. I don't just want to take this because that's what Luther and and them said. Like, forget what Luther and the Reformers said. What does the Bible say? That's why I'm I'm wanting to dig into this with you. And then here's what what cracked my skull open on, on Thursday whenever I was studying this. The way to be declared righteous by God comes by trusting Him. If you trust somebody, what does that mean? What's implicit in that is that someone else is being dependent on. Like, Autumn, I trust you to take $300 to the bank for me and not pocket 100 of it, babe. She's in the back. Um, what am I saying? I'm not going to the bank. I need you to do something for me that I can't do for one reason or another. I'm depending upon you. 
So what does that mean? That means that God is going to act in order to save sinners. Now verse 16 all of a sudden makes a lot of sense. That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is God's action in order to save sinners. Because it's going to be received by our trusting Him, depending upon Him to act. Of course this is going to be the power of God on display and and for our salvation. So again, to recap, salvation is going to be a work of God. Received by trusting in that work. And what are we trusting? That that work is sufficient in order for us to be declared righteous. But what I started asking myself, I mean, I've always accepted that. Why, though? Why does it have to come by faith? Why does salvation have to come by faith in God's work? Why can't man make himself righteous before God by doing? Like, why is that not possible? Why wouldn't God declare that's the way for salvation? Well, Paul actually goes on in the next verse to answer that for us. And actually, he goes from this verse on through chapter 3. <laughs> Paul makes a, a really, really uh, all-encompassing Uh, argument for why it's impossible for man to be saved by doing anything. That God must be the one who does. He says this, so why can't man make himself righteous before God? Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So why can't man make himself righteous before God by doing anything? Because what Paul is saying in those verses, man is thoroughly unrighteous. All of man's deeds means that like, all, everything that we have done as, as uh, the human race warrants the wrath of God. That's why Paul starts out saying the wrath of God is revealed. This is all of humanity. Right? Again, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is all-encompassing. Because on our best days, our days are still marked by sin. We may do a few good deeds or whatever, right? Your good Samaritan thing of the day, walking an old lady across the street or whatever, giving a homeless guy a dollar. Um, But we still commit sin against God. Verse 21, he says, we don't honor him as God. Even though we know he exists, we still don't do what he says. We don't honor him or give thanks to him, but we become futile in our thinking and our hearts become darkened. To the truth, we don't want him. We don't honor him. Further, our good deeds cannot undo the unrighteousness that we've done. So my favorite analogy is if you kill somebody and then do a bunch of community service and then they catch you for murder, you're still going to prison for murder, right? It doesn't matter how much good that you've done. Take that a step further. Why why can't man do enough good works in order to warrant salvation? God's standard is perfection. Deuteronomy 27, 26, Moses is is laying out what God expects of his people. And then he says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Paul actually uses that in Galatians as well. Galatians chapter 3, I believe, uses that same quote. 
So we cannot be righteous according to our works. We cannot be righteous by obeying God's law. That's what I mean by works, is by obeying what God tells us to do. Why? Because we daily break the law. So however much that we might do, right, the few times that we do obey Him in a day, it's still our, our awfulness still breaks that over. It still outweighs it. And we bring the wrath of God, like I said in verse 18, we bring the wrath of God on ourselves with our works because our works are sinful. Even the good that we do is generally fueled by a desire to feel good about ourselves, is it not? Or to look good in the eyes of a community. It's never really done, apart from uh, the Holy Spirit residing in us, it's never really done to the glory of God. The Bible says whatever is not done by faith is sin. So literally everything we do is sin. Our works only warrant God's wrath. Paul doesn't just stop there. We're going to skip on to to Romans chapter 2. Paul takes it further and says that knowing what we should do won't help us. Right? Romans 2.12, he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So what is he saying there? Again, we try to say, well, like we do good things that God wants us to do. Paul said it doesn't really matter if you know what God wants you to do and then you do those things. It doesn't matter. Because those who live under the law will be judged by the law. And likewise, there's no advantage to you saying, well, I never knew what the Bible says. Because he says all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. No human being has any advantage over the wrath of God to avoid it on his own. So let me take a second and and, and lay this before you. Church kids, like me, growing up in church has no advantage to you. Period. Because though we know what God demands of us, we don't do it. We don't do it perfectly. And for those of you who grew up outside of the church, being religious or being moral won't save you. Working your job, I hear this all the time, working your job and taking care of your family and paying your bills and paying your taxes and being like, you know, showing up to jury duty and all that stuff, that won't save you because you don't keep God's standard. Knowing the standard won't help you. Not knowing the standard won't help you. Your good deeds can't help you. We are unrighteous rebels against God and are without excuse when we stand before Him. No one has any advantage. Paul actually goes on to summarize these points in Romans chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off, those who have the law? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, this is everyone in the world, Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Again, no advantages to being a church kid or trying to be a good person because all are under sin. None are righteous. All are guilty. None are innocent. All human beings are under the wrath of God and all of their works are unrighteousness. Paul goes on to talk about the law more in verses 19 and 20. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So again, the law can't help you. Knowing what God demands of you won't help you. What he says in verse 20, no one can be saved by trying to obey God's law. 
Because that's not the point of the law. And listen to me, I never heard this growing up, and I grew up in church. The point of the law is to show us our unrighteousness. Think about this. Moses came a a good bit after Adam, which means men were already sinners. God gives the law to Moses in order to show humanity their unrighteousness in case they were blind to it. Does that make any sense? God gave the law in order to show us our unrighteousness and to point us to Him. To say, we need a Savior because I am thoroughly unrighteous. Again, the law just diagnoses the problem that's in us. But it holds no power to save. But it really diagnoses the problem well. I'm going to steal this from Matt Chandler. Um, he talks about an MRI. right? This, uh, Matt Chandler is a really good preacher, way better than me. You should, you should Google him. Um, Matt Chandler had brain cancer. And he said whenever he went in, he had an MRI done on his head, right, on his brain. And no matter how much they like, and, and the doctor said, yeah, like this tells us what's wrong with you. You have brain cancer. This needs to get cut out, right? Here's the state of you. Here's how things ought to be. But does the MRI hold any power to save anybody from the disease that they have? No, it just diagnoses the problem that's within you. That's what the point of the law is. It wields no power to save. So our attempts at obeying God's law won't save because we fail. All that the law can do is point out our own unrighteousness. I I really hope that you can see I am really, really, really laboring the point that God must act in order to save you. You can't. No amount of goodness can do it. Because on our best days, we are unrighteous. But remember, verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1 tells us that God promises to act on our behalf in order to declare us righteous. But how? How will God do that? Paul tells us, Romans 3, 21 through 28. So after he's, I want you guys to feel like the breath of air that this is to someone who's suffocating. He says, no one will be made righteous in God's eyes by works of the law. No one will be justified in God's eyes. But now, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But now the way to be declared righteous by God has been shown to us apart from the works of the law. What good news that this is for us. 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Faith in Jesus will get our justification. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of His standard. And are justified by His grace as a gift. You don't work for a gift. How do they receive this gift? What what, what is this gift? Through the redemption... That is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Meaning that Jesus' redemption means to buy someone back. You redeem a slave, right? Think like you redeem a coupon, right? You get something whenever you redeem it, right? Jesus redeemed us 
He bought us back from what? From the wrath of God for our sin. How did he do that? Because God, verse 25, put him forward as a propitiation. Meaning he set Jesus forward as the sacrifice for our sin. Propitiation means the one who who satisfies the demands of God. Remember, God's justice demands that someone pay for sin, and he set Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, meaning he had passed over the sins of the people in the Old Testament times, looking forward to whenever Christ would do this. But not only for them, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time for us. Why? So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does he mean by just and justifier there? (laughs) That his holiness might be upheld through the cross of Christ. That he says, I do punish lawbreakers. I am righteous. I am holy. I do not wink at sin, nor can I just forgive it by saying, I'm just going to ignore it. He says, I am just. He put Jesus forward as the one who would propitiate his wrath so that his justice would remain intact and also so he would be the justifier of the one who has faith. So that he would be the one who gets to declare sinners righteous because they trust. What's the result of this? Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Meaning by what kind of law are we saved? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So God knew that we couldn't save ourselves. Let this hit you, but He wanted to save you. He knows you can't. So He says, I will. So He sends Christ. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh acting to save sinners. Just like verse 16, Paul says, the power of God. The act of God for salvation for those who believe. So what did Jesus do? In his perfect life, in his propitiatory death, in his resurrection, what did he do? He satisfied the demands of God the Father. Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. He never sinned. Remember it says like, you're cursed. We looked at Deuteronomy 27. You're cursed if you break any of the law. Jesus never broke any of the law. But then Jesus took the curse that we deserve because of our sin on himself and then paid for it. So he satisfied both the penalty of breaking the law and God's righteous demands of the law. Romans chapter 8 says that Jesus fulfills the righteous requirements of God. God is satisfied. That's why we sang in Christ alone. And on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. All, everything that God demanded was satisfied. and We couldn't do it, so Jesus did it for us. He says that all this belongs to the one who trusts. Verse 26. So we are saved by trusting that Jesus has satisfied God's demands on our behalf. Why by faith? Why must it come by faith? We're not going to dig super deep into it, but chapter 4, verse 16 says, in order that it might rest on grace. In order that this might be fully an act of God. That it might rest on him being merciful towards sinners. And not anything that the sinner does to earn it. So that God's power would be on display. 
to show that God alone is mighty to save. So that we could not boast. So that He would be glorified alone, not us. So hear me, if if you're a believer, you are saved by the work of Christ. So you are saved by works, just not yours. Someone had to do the works. You just couldn't. You're saved by His works. Check this out. It's not even your faith that saves. It's Jesus who saves. Faith is the mere instrument by which we receive the work of Christ. The reformers referred to it as the empty hand of faith. That's what we're going to sing later. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I have nothing. I lay hold to Jesus by faith. That's all that we're doing. Our faith has no merit before God. The strength of your faith doesn't even matter. It is the object of your faith that matters. It is Jesus, the object of our faith that has merits. Not even our faith. Why does this matter? I have two reasons. One is a little bit more crass, and then one of us get, one of them gives us a lot of comfort. Galatians chapter one, verses six through nine. This is what Paul says. There are there are people. So hear me. Listen to me. There are people in Galatia at this time who are teaching that people are saved by obeying the law and having faith in Christ. He's saying, if you, like they were saying, if you're not circumcised according to the law, which sounds funny to us now that that would be like a dispute, but they're saying if you don't obey these commands that are found in God's law, you're not going to be saved. That your salvation, your justification depends upon faith in Christ plus works. And here's what Paul says to them. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, you are quickly deserting God and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The Greek word is anathema. Means damned. Let that person be cursed by God for eternity if they preach a different gospel to you than the one Paul preached. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What, what gospel did they receive? The same gospel we've been talking about from Romans that justification comes by faith. So, why does this matter? First and foremost, because justification by faith alone is the gospel. And there is no other gospel. And every other gospel is false. Because every other gospel makes you look to yourself in order to be saved ultimately. That you have, and you have no power to save. Paul's clearly established that to us. And we are still damned if we trust in ourselves, is what Paul is saying. He's saying the gospel is central to everything. The justification by faith is central to everything. Paul later says in Galatians that we will nullify the work of Christ if we try to add to it. Faith alone equals justification. Faith plus anything equals damnation is what Paul is getting at in this letter. So why does this matter? Because we'll fight over this, period. Um, the, The greatest schism the church has ever seen in history happened over this in the 1500s. We will debate over this. 
We will lose family and friends over this if we must. We will be called bigots by the Christian community in America if we must over this. We're willing to be called hateful and divisive over this because this is the gospel. We are willing to die if necessary like many of the reformers were willing to do for this doctrine. We will not kill for it, but we will die for it because this is life. This is peace with God. But why else? Why else does this matter? This is, the, this is the big one. They're all big, but this is the one that hit me this week. We are always drifting away from this teaching, are we not? We are always drifting away from this. What I mean by that is we're always sliding back into trusting our obedience to make us right with God. Every Christian in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. And what, what I mean is you feel like God loves you when you're doing really, really well. Whenever you're obeying him, you feel, surely I'm justified in God's eyes. I haven't looked at porn in months. I've been reading my Bible every day. Uh, I've been praying every day. I'm volunteering at the church. I'm doing this and that. I'm evangelizing. Surely God loves me. Surely I'm justified in his eyes. But when you fail, when you sin, you fall into the worst pit of despair you've ever felt in your life. You fail and you feel as if God is done with you. That you have lost your right standing with him. I don't know about anyone else. I lived here for years. This is what Luther felt. This is what I felt. This is what I'm sure you have felt. We feel like we can't approach God until we start doing better again. Right? Like, I can't even pray. I'm not worthy to open up his Bible. You were never worthy to open up the Bible or pray to him to begin with. Even before you think that you screwed up worse than you have in months, you were never worthy of that. But yet God declares you righteous. <laughs> because Christ is worthy. But trusting in ourselves just leads to despair and it leads to fear because we will inevitably keep failing. And in those moments that we feel despair over our sin, it it proves that really we have been trusting in ourselves for our salvation the whole time. But this doctrine boldly reminds us that our justification was never about us. It was always, it always has been and it always will be about Jesus and what he's done, not what you do. So I can confidently say on the authority of the scriptures, you are no more accepted by God on your best day than you are on your worst. Because but what, by what law are we saved? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. Jesus satisfied God's wrath for you. Jesus was righteous for you. And furthermore, Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross. He paid for your past, present, and future sin. All of it. Justification is by the work of Christ. You will fail, but he is unfailing. Furthermore, Paul tells us we have been united. Hear me on this. We have been united with Christ by faith. What does that mean? His work is credited to us because we are one with him. The the reformers would put it like this. If, If a king decides to go marry a peasant girl, the moment that the marriage ceremony is concluded and they take their vows, she owns everything that the king owns in an instant. It's hers because it's his. That's what being united with Christ by faith means. So what does that mean? 
As long as God declares Jesus Christ righteous, we are declared righteous, and we know God will forevermore declare Jesus righteous because he was. Hear me on this. I'm I'm bringing this to a close. Let everything around you burn for this doctrine. I don't mean be spiritually on fire for that. What I, what I, that too, but what I mean by that is if this doctrine doesn't fit your denomination, if it doesn't fit your theological tribe, if it doesn't fit the kind of books you like to read, if it doesn't fit the kind of preachers that you grew up hearing that you're currently listening to, leave them. Be willing to say, I, I may not know anything else, but I know I'm justified by faith alone in Christ alone. I may know nothing else, but I know this. We cannot sacrifice this teaching because it is our only hope. It alone is the power of God for salvation. Thank God for that. On our own merits, we will perish. But God has given to us the works of His Son. And we receive the righteousness of God by trusting the promise of God. What is that promise? That He will declare us righteous because of what Christ has done. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the work of Christ. That it doesn't depend upon our works. That it never depended upon our works. But that even since the Old Testament, you've always justified by faith. Help us to rest in that. Help us to trust that. Show us where we're trusting in something else and obliterate it and show us Christ alone is our hope. Christ alone, His righteousness is the only thing that we can trust, is the only thing that we can lean on. Thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.